for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Ah, yes, it's another early morning edition of Marsh and Mellow right here for you on Canadian Football Perspective. Thanks for being here with us. Labor Day Tuesday. Labor Day Tuesday after one Kyle Mellow enjoyed a little Labor Day Monday down at the Donut Box. <laughs> little uh, little Thai Cats, little Argos, little live sporting event for Kyle Mellow. How did that feel? Uh, it felt strangely weird, yes. right? When I saw everybody lined up outside the stadium and I was walking across... Uh, to the media entrance, I was like, man, it doesn't seem real. And then once I got into the press box, again, the setup is a little bit different. Um, I think I'll get more used to the protocols and stuff like that. Um, by the way, shout out to uh, the person that uh, told Mike Morielli as he was uh, showing his proof of vaccination. Yeah, he needs to be vaccinated. He was an Argo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that sounds like Labor Day uh, in the flesh, no doubt about that. But uh, I, I didn't have a chance yesterday to check in on Morielli and Hitch and Bubba doing their thing, but it uh, it's it looked great. Like I, I thought when I when I learned that it was going to be, you know, what the temperature was and what the um, you know the sun being out and the number of people that were going to pack that place, fifteen thousand was the capacity, and they end up getting that announced as well. It was. Uh, it was a great environment, and I one of my good friends, Scott Hasty, who's been on our show here previously a couple of different times for a couple of different reasons and works with us at CFP as kind of a creative director uh, because he's just smarter than I am. Uh, I, I I was texting him because he was actually sitting in the stands and he said, man, this does not feel like 15. It does not feel like 15,000. And that's something that I felt when I went to the Argos Bombers game back in week three because that was something like nine ten thousand maybe somewhere in there i forget exactly what the number was it might have been slightly higher um but it was loud it was really loud and, and it made me wonder okay how loud can fifteen thousand people possibly be and it wasn't like regina it wasn't like mcmahon necessarily in terms of the impact on the game itself but it, it did have an impact like there's no doubt to me that home field advantage was a thing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats yesterday in terms of momentum, sure, but the energy inside of that place, and I know, Kyle, it's hard to tell in the press box because it's yeah. this big, big glass wall in front of you and you're watching on the TV and it's you're detached from society. It's an unnatural relationship when you're in the press box to what's happening out there. It's part of the reason I love the television booth and getting to do some TV work is it's just open air. Like you feel like you have the best seat in the house right next to those people, but yeah. it doesn't matter where you were. I'm sure that you could tell as well, like, Oh no, this, this feels like more than 15,000. Yeah. Um, the energy in the crowd was, was different. It was good to see. And, and you know, this, right. It's a community in Tim Hortons field, despite 15,000 people being yeah. um, in the stadium, it's about the people in your section, the season ticket holders that have been sitting next to each other for the last, you know, 20 years that haven't seen each other since, you know, the East final <laughs> in, uh, in 2019. Yeah. And yeah. now everybody's back together. Um, you know, hopefully 
you know, no more protocols are put in place to, to limit crowd size or anything, because um, I want to see as many people as possible um, in Tim Hortons field. And if people are, are vaccinated and showing proof of vaccination uh, or, or being tested um, down at the stadium, I think it's uh, it, it's good to see CFL football, some sense of community in Hamilton back. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't want to, you know, poo-poo on anything that's that's happened over Labor Day weekend because I think that there were a lot of incredible games and matchups and everything else we'll get to here. But the one that did sketch me out was Saskatchewan's crowd because when they were showing crowd shots in Hamilton, mm-hmm. a lot of people – and again, it's, it's tough to do the math on this in real time with a five-second panorama of a crowd shot. But in Hamilton, there were a lot of people wearing masks, and obviously there was the proof of vaccination thing and all the rest. In Saskatchewan, man, there's not there, and there's like restrictions coming in on who's allowed to do, uh, you know, what and going forward at Riders games, and it's like, yeah, they should be applauded for putting those measures in. However, that's one of, if not their biggest crowd of the year, and those measurements were not put in place, and they go to crowd shots, and it, I, I just I can't figure out if I'm the weirdo because. I see, you know, the the strange people protesting in the streets and fake news and masks and anti-vax and whatever, like that's your prerogative, do whatever the hell you want to do. If you're a person who wants to spend your entire life just claiming conspiracy theories and marching around the streets and yelling at uh, reporters that they don't know what they're doing with their job and they're part of a conspiracy, then sure, go crazy. Are you talking about what happened in Weldon yesterday? Yes. At the Um, Trudeau rally with Kelly Batello? Yes, exactly. Exactly what I'm talking about. So stupid. Just leave reporters the F alone. Seriously, leave them alone. They're not doing anything wrong. And Kelly does a good job with CHCA. So that just pissed me off when I saw that yesterday. But for those of you that don't know, she basically was just getting harassed by a bunch of idiots. Um, But outside of that, the reason I bring this up is when I see people sitting in the stands in Saskatchewan and I see like, you know, per capita or positive test rates, these things we've been talking about forever as actual measurements. And I see nobody wearing masks. I'm like, man, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do And I don't know if I'm the weirdo or if they're being naive or what it is, but I saw a projection from a doctor. Uh, again, this is not to crap on everything good that happened with the football over the weekend and the great event that Labor Day weekend was. It just jumped out to me that certain parts of the country we've decided, ah, who cares? And other parts of the country we've decided less, ah, who cares? But when I saw people sitting in those stands and then I see a tweet from a doctor that said, based on the positivity rate in Saskatchewan, uh, and people being this unmasked and not having to show proof of vaccination, uh, their guess, their estimate was that there would be about 500 cases that would likely come out of. Uh, and again, I don't have a source for that. And I, I just saw it in passing when I was scrolling through Twitter during the game mm-hmm. on Sunday afternoon. They said there'll probably be about 500 cases that will come out of this game because people don't have to be vaccinated. People are more vulnerable. There's also the other weird one to me, Kyle, was seeing like elderly Saskatchewan or Winnipeg fans sitting in the stands unmasked. And again, I'm like, well, they're probably vaccinated, but also there's no proof that you have to be vaccinated. Something, if I was an older person, would I be sitting in the stands? Ah, I might be a little hesitant. If I was an older person who was sitting in the stands, would I be wearing a mask? Absolutely. Uh, would I be vaccinated? Absolutely. But there's no proof that you have to be. So it's like you just you see people in your mind inevitably because of where we've been the last year and a half goes to, wow, I can't 
I can't believe that I'm seeing like this in this place with people sitting this tightly together with no social distancing, with no need for vaccination proof, with no masks on their face. It's like, have we learned anything? Like, are, are we aware of how this stuff works at this point? But again, I don't know if they're being weird for being that way or if I'm being weird because I walk through downtown Toronto sometimes when I'm going to and from the league office and I, I feel like I'm the only person wearing a mask. And I'm like, has anybody heard of the Delta variant? <laughs> like, because you guys are just wandering past each other and yeah, you might be vaccinated, but I'm like, I, it doesn't prevent you from getting, it's not a magic elixir. It prevents you from dying if you end up catching it is basically what the science is saying. So anyways, I don't want to get on a, an even long, longer diatribe here about vaccines and masking stuff. It's just, it's amazing to see when you're watching a football game, your mind wanders away from the game itself when they show the crowd shots to, yeah. oh, I don't know if I'd be doing exactly what that person's doing. The only thing I would say against that is people should be aware of their surroundings. Like if you're in Saskatchewan, you're going to a game. If you know people aren't you know, vaccinated around you and you feel comfortable in that, I mean, it's, it's your prerogative to, right. to be there. Same thing in Hamilton, right? Like yep. if you're feeling a lot more comfortable because, you know, people are, uh, are vaccinated in the crowd. Uh, but again, we'll see what happens. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's get a quick break. We'll come back on the other side for you here, and we will recap the great weekend that was across the Canadian Football League. Plenty to get to right after this. It's Marsh and Mellow, Canadian Football Perspective. Marshall Ferguson here for my friends at Forced to Joni. Some of their specials and features coming up in the next couple of weeks. The Triple Bogey Contest Giveaway. $5 tall cans of Triple Bogey Lager and Amber. Every Triple Bogey sold will be a ballot into a draw to win some golf prizes, including a grand prize of a custom Triple Bogey golf bag. Slap your name on that thing and impress your friends around the golf course. They have a summer drink menu that is going strong here into September. And daily drink deals such as Sangria Saturday, Corona Buckets, and $9 classic cocktails as more. For more, you can go to ForcedToJoni.com or follow them on Instagram at 4.stagioni. That's F-O-R-E-S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. For those tough wake-ups. Trevor Harris. I asked him for his most embarrassing story. He said, I went to the fair with a girl. Had a crush on her for a long time. She just figured out she had a crush on me like two days before. I'm like, yep, here we go. Perfect. It's Martian Mellow. Baby, let me go. Uh, let's go. I'll go get you some food. So he walks away, comes back with two big extra large Dippin' Dots. She was holding their place in line to go on the big Ferris wheel. He comes back with Dippin' Dots and she's making out with a different guy in line. Did he eat the Dippin' Dots? He said he crushed both the Dippin' Dots, went home, never talked to her again. That's the move. Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mellow right here for you on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you for being here with us. And thank you as always to our good friends at Fox 40. Head over to fox40shop.com for Fox 40 gear, whistles, and coaching boards. Use that promo code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your order. They got the Fox 40 Sonic Blast CMG with 120 decibels of sound power. And the Sonic Blast can be heard over even the loudest of crowds. Don't use it if you're in the crowd. Uh, but if you are officiating <laughs> and there is a large crowd, uh, then you can go ahead and use that. Uh, all right, let's dive into Labor Day weekend and give you the recap that we always do here on Marshallville, looking around at everything that happened. It feels like it was an eternity ago, uh, but way back at the start of week number five on Friday, as we stand here for you on Tuesday, uh, the over-under, I believe, in the Montreal-Ottawa game was somewhere set in like 37 or 40 or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Montreal clears it themselves, 51 
29 yeah. is the final as they explode. And Vernon Adams <laughs> Jr. looks fantastic. Uh, somehow, Ottawa put up 29 points as well as Dominique Davis comes in. They finally make the switch over from Matt Nichols, and they get some results in that. Kyle, what did you see on Friday in that uh, the new impromptu matchup of the, I don't know, we call this the 416 rivalry, the 401 rivalry. <laughs> we got the QEW rivalry in Ontario. We might as well have some other highway related thing between Montreal and Ottawa. It's only two hours between them. Yeah, it's the Lapo Kahari rivalry. <laughs> um, I thought, you know, Montreal returned to what they were or what they looked like um, after that week one performance. Um, and then obviously kind of fell apart against the, against the Ticats. Um, Ottawa, we're going to have to wrap our head around this. Ottawa is really bad. And defensively, I didn't see that, um, the first few games of their season, but defensively, they really struggled to contain Montreal. Yeah. They're they're. I would say this, like defensively, they've been held into games because in week one, they were able to get a couple of turnovers and they also gave up the most net yardage to offenses across the mm. CFL through the first month of the season. But once teams got down into the score zone, Mike Benavides and that group were able to hold teams to field goals consistently. So it was like they were giving up field long drives, field goal, field long drive, field goal, field. It was just this pattern of they would just hold. But the problem is when Vernon Adams Jr. starts hitting on those strikes that we always talk about with him, where it's like 40 yards down the left sideline to Geno Lewis. And oh, look, there's another 35 yard down the sideline to XYZ. It's like that when they hit on those plays, then you're like, well, when you're giving up full field drives and people are cashing in with 40 yard bombs, that's how you get 51 points hung on. you. Yeah. And let's be honest, right? Uh, week one, Ottawa wins uh, in Edmonton, but the Elks were going through some stuff trying to figure out their offense. It looks like they've t- turned a corner and they finally, you know, have a rhythm mm-hmm. um, under Jamie Elizondo. If you're a Montreal Alouettes fan, I think you can be encouraged about that performance because it still wasn't the perfect offense for me. Um, I know they scored 51 points, but you have to take into consideration who they were playing. And Ottawa, you could tell, especially their defense, was kind of getting their soul broken um, in that game uh, until Dominic Davis came in and was like, oh, our offense can actually like somewhat move the ball. Um, by the way, I don't think that's going to remain consistent. Um if you expect Dominic Davis to have as much production as he did against the Montreal Alouettes, you're sadly mistaken, right? Because we've yeah. seen this before. We saw this in 2019. Ottawa comes out beginning of the season, wins a couple of games, and they lose, what, 12 games in a row? Dominic Davis gets replaced three different times as starting quarterback. Like, that's what might happen. Um, but for the Alouettes on, on, you know, their offensive side of the ball, I really like what Vernon Adams was doing. Um they're running the ball with William Stanback and they're sticking to the run. At times, they're still really pushing the ball down the field. Yeah. I think sometimes they're overly aggressive, but we'll see if that changes over time. Um, but I think you can be encouraged if you're an Owls fan that, okay, maybe we have some semblance of, eh, this is consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And it's amazing how things change from week to week because if you would have asked me coming out of week number three, like, what do you think is going to happen in the East? I'd be like, well, Hamilton is struggling, right? Because that was before week four when they go and get that win in Montreal. I'm like, well, Hamilton's struggling at the end of week three. Toronto looks like a world beater. And and Montreal looks as though they're going to potentially, you know, start cruising here in the East. And then we stand here at the end of week number five, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, well, Hamilton looked a lot better than Toronto, 
and yeah, uh, and Hamilton handled Montreal, but Montreal handled Ottawa, which means that it should be like maybe we're looking at like a Hamilton, Montreal, Toronto in terms of the seating in the East if they're all able to make it through. But again, that changes week to week, which I think is a good thing because you don't want to be able to say. Hamilton's clearly one. Toronto's clearly two. Toronto might leak in as three. Ottawa's awful at four. It's because that week's for boring games down the stretch when Hamilton and Toronto are playing three more times. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I for me, Montreal. You talk about the the over aggression as you call it with them. I I'm wrapping my head around the idea because when they showed it was such a great highlight pack that they showed of Kahari Jones playing for Winnipeg and Matt Dunnigan, which by the way, man, so fun to hear Dunnigan on the call of a game again I missed that so much just pure football I mean aside from the thing that they are they are describing great throws as uh that has a difficult uh urban dictionary definition I would say the theme of the weekend whenever a great throw was made uh you guys can look that up on your own Uh, I would prefer that we as commentators did not continue to use that term uh, but Kyle has no idea what I'm talking about right now. I have now. no idea what you're talking uh, yeah, about. Yeah, I uh, I would just say... Tell uh, me off air after the show. Well, it's, <laughs> if you watch the games across the weekend, you know the theme of the weekend was when a great throw was made, they were calling it a sling nasty. Ben Grant uh, from X's and Argos sent out a thing saying, uh, hey, maybe we shouldn't be using that term. Look it up on Urban Dictionary. Not great. Not great. And if anybody uh, at TSN has uh, Google, I would suggest that maybe we pull back on the idea of using that term. Anyways, uh, the weird term. <laughs> it's yeah. And it's meaning in uh, in a very inappropriate way. So I would prefer that we, I'm, I ain't touching it to any games that I <laughs> any games that I work. If that word comes up, no, thank you. Uh, so anyways, the reason that I bring this up is Vernon. He makes a lot of those great throws. It's a matter of whether or not he's on the same page with the receivers and whether or not they cash in. And I said to DT last week, like, we're going to create a flow chart here on CFP that basically says, did Montreal hit on their big passing plays? And if the answer is yes, the flow chart goes to, did they win? Yes. If the answer is no, the flow chart goes to, did they win? No. Like, it's basically that simple. It's it's a very one, one-dimensional chart. And, uh, and so they showed this highlight pack of all these vertical throws that Kari Jones would make. And Dunnigan on the call says, you know, that highlight pack right there should tell you why this coach loves this quarterback. And it's so true because the way that Kari Jones played, the way that Kari Jones thinks, the way that he calls games, it's very obvious that he's not just saying, Hey, Vernon, you're allowed to take some shots once in a while. He's building them into the system. And man, I'm telling you, when, when they hit on those and when the receivers are creating separation and making great catches, Montreal, even if they're not operating at full efficiency, should be able to score 30 points a game. And 30 points a game is not going to win you every game, but it's going to win you a bunch of games. And when they don't hit on those plays, you're going to end up losing at home to Hamilton, your home opener, by putting up you know, whatever it was here. They, uh, I'm trying to remember how many. They only put up 10 points. Right. And that's the challenge for for Alouettes fans is if you are going to be a Montreal Alouettes fan in 2021, you are admitting that you are about to ride the wave of inconsistency, uh, shocking loss, followed by shocking win. And it all is dependent upon how they are able to connect on deep balls and how often they take them, because I'm telling you, I've crunched the numbers on this week again and his yards in air per target 
is bonkers. It does not, <laughs> it does not make any sense. They do not care what the rest. And I feel like on CFP here on all of the shows, I've been ranting and raving about the fact that they just don't care how the rest of the league is playing the game of Canadian football. But the reason that I do that, Kyle, is because every week I go into the game thinking, oh, there's got to be a regression to the mean here. Like they, they probably will come back down to earth or they'll change their approach a little bit. They just keep going. They just keep doing what they do, and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. So it's amazing to watch Montreal be able to do that. Uh, Ottawa, yeah, disappointing. In terms of Dominique Davis, I just I, I'm sure that that I'll do a, a breakdown with this uh, with DT coming up on Thursday morning for you because we bumped all the shows uh, one day this week in order to get everything kind of in after Labor Day Monday. But Dominique Davis, to me, wildly inconsistent. But similar to Vernon Adams Jr., they're very similar quarterbacks where you end up having big shots down the field. But he made some really nice underneath throws, some intricate throws, some timing throws on his back foot and ripping it into receivers. And But the problem with, with him that I've always had in the CFL dating all the way back to Winnipeg days is that Dominique Davis will give you, in 10 throws, he'll give you two incredible throws, two throws that make you scratch your head, and the rest of them are average the two incredible throws make you go why is he not a starting quarterback in the cfl and the two ones that make you scratch your head go oh that's why so that's who he is as a player and if lapo can get more out of him than the previous regime in ottawa power to him because they need that but i'm also looking at jake Mayer going through three straight weeks of 300 plus yards throwing and scoring touchdowns on a team that's going nowhere with Bo levi mitchell coming back yeah and i'm, and I'm like how how on earth if you are Ottawa, if you don't get consistent production and improvement from Dominic Davis, how on earth do you not call Calgary and ask to have that conversation with them? Yeah. Um, so a few things here. One, I think you're right in the fact of Kahari Jones, whether or not the offense is consistent enough, uh, playing that way, throwing the ball, being super aggressive. Um, I don't think matters when Kari Jones has the trust in his yeah. quarterback and he trusts Vernon Adams Jr. Um, so that's a bright spot if you're an Alouettes fan. Um, as for the other side of the ball, it looks like Dominic Davis is going to be the guy moving forward until he's no longer the guy, a yep. la 29 Ottawa Red Blacks, right? Like I see a situation where we're going to see Matt Nichols again down the road, um, just because I think that's the nature of Dominic Davis. And it's also the nature of the Ottawa Red Black struggles. Right. And I think the struggles are going to continue. Um, as for what the Red Black showed on the field, by the way, props to uh, your guy, uh, Dan Peterman, uh, got in the end zone twice. Uh, he is, it was, I was super happy for Dan Peterman because I'm like, finally, a guy gets an opportunity. Yeah. Because we've seen this, like, just guys not getting opportunities when we know what they're capable of. And obviously you played with Dan. Um, and I think he can find some sort of, you know, consistency with Dominic Davis at quarterback. And Dominic Davis looked, you know, to have this comfort level in Dan Peterman, you know, underneath routes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't remember. Who would you say Dan Peterman best resembles? Like in CFL. This is the thing. I, I this is, I actually wanted to bring this up. I'm glad that you did because uh, I need to talk for a second about Dan Peterman because he gets in the end zone a couple of times, and I think people view him as 
you know, another Canadian receiver. But here's why Dan Peterman is weird. Okay. I'm just going <laughs> to texting me this. I was yeah, like, so I was uh, here's why I'm going to, to explain to you why he's weird and why I don't think that there's a direct comparable because it's a smart question that you ask. I don't, I don't think that there's a real, there's not an answer that makes a ton of sense in the you know, literal uh, in linear sense where it's like, you know, X equals Y he is X equals two plus Z. The reason that I say this is Dan Peterman, his body type is not Nate Bahar. It's not Wesley Lewis. It's not uh, RJ Harris. It's not, he doesn't fit the mold of typical receiver body. He's stocky. He's got a really thick lower body. Uh, and, you know, in terms of his workout numbers and things like that, I know Declan Cross is a workout freak that I played with at Mac because you look at him and he's a bowling ball of a human being. Yeah. Dan Peterman is not that. But Dan Peterman's body type does not match his athleticism. And what I mean by that is he is one of the most athletic people I've ever been around. But when you just look at him and the way that he carries himself, because Dan's a super laid back guy, when you see the way he carries himself, he's never going to be loud. He's never going to be brash. He's never going to be in your face. He's never going to outrun somebody 70 yards down the sideline for those big dramatic scores. What Dan Peterman does that was always so confusing to me, and as a quarterback, this was difficult for me to wrap my head around, was you give him the ball anywhere, and he will give you more yardage, more production, more trips to the end zone than you are expecting. And that was the rule at Mac was we'd throw him a bubble screen. We had this play where we used to read off the Sam linebacker where it was an RPO essentially where I could hand it off to the running back. And I was reading if the Sam linebacker took a step down into the run game, I'd pull it, just throw it onto the edge on a little bubble. If the Sam linebacker stayed outside, well, then we had numbers in the box and I could just hand it off and we'd be able to knife for six, seven yards. We ran that play like 18 times one time against Laurier and I handed it off every time because their Sam had no interest in coming into the box. It was great. Um, <laughs> it was just fan- the easiest afternoon I've ever had. Where I'm just like, you're just going to stay over there. Okay. All right. Chris Pizzetta here, another eight yards. Uh, but the reason I bring this up is on plays like that, you could flip it to Peterman. There's three people chasing him down. The Sam linebackers chasing him. Somebody misses their block on the outside. He may, he just makes people miss. We used to laugh at him during film sessions because we would say the only time that Dan Peterman is going to get tackled or the play is going to end is when he decides to step out of bounds because you, we couldn't, figure out why people couldn't tackle him. He would just shrug them. They'd fall off his leg. They'd try to tackle him high, bounce off them. He'd make two people miss with this little stutter move. We actually, we had a package called Yoshi uh, that was specifically, you know, a Dan Peterman built thing around him to try and get him the football. It was called Yoshi because does anybody know what Yoshi is? Like the actual animal that Yoshi is? I've never done the research on what is Yoshi, but. I know Yoshi from Mario. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like, what is Yoshi? Is it, a, is it a dry? Like, I should actually look this up because I've never actually decided to, um, you know, understand what Yoshi is. But we basically named it that because we're like, we have no idea what Dan is. So this, <laughs> is, so Yoshi is a video game uh, dinosaur is what it says. Uh, so yeah, Super Mario World 1990, Mario and Luigi's sidekick, later started platform and puzzle game, Super Mario 2, Yoshi's Island, Yoshi's Story, Yoshi's Woolly World, blah, 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 blah. You get the idea. Yeah. But they created this dinosaur companion, but doesn't really look like a dinosaur. Got the spikes on the back of his body, whatever, but he, you don't really understand. And we built this thing around Dan because we realized over time 
if you get him the football, good things will happen, even though he doesn't look like good things will happen, even though he, he, it, between the snaps, Kyle, he used to get killed in film sessions because he is a sloth between snaps, at least he used to be, mm-hmm. where he would just crawl back to the huddle and you would go, like, can you just you know, show some energy, like show your, you know, get in, get out of the huddle, have some rhythm. And he would like, you know, crawl out of the huddle, crawl into the huddle. And everything just looked like, oh, you know, this is so, so laborsome. But that's us assigning a judgment to him based on what we're seeing. In reality, it was him just saving energy because then at the snap, you'd throw him a little quick out. He'd make four people miss, run for 35 yards and step out of bounds when he wanted to. And so the, the reason I, I go on this you know, soapbox about Dan Peterman is for Ottawa fans, there's not a lot of great things about the way your season is going. However, there are some fantastic pieces that you have in-house. I think Nate Bahar has taken a big step forward. And I also believe that Dan Peterman is something worth building around going forward where he might be your Rob Bag, even though he doesn't look necessarily like Rob Bag. He might hmm. be your Jason Claremont, even though he doesn't look like Jason Claremont. He's, he can be an integral part of what you do in Ottawa as long as Paul Apolis is there through the next five years. That's why they targeted him in free agency. But he, I'm just telling you, Ottawa fans, He's never going to feel like a stud receiver, but he's going to give you that production Mm -hmm. if you continue to find him targets. So that's, it's a weird thing to wrap your mind around that what you're seeing is not what you're feeling, but I'm telling you, the more product, the more touches you get that guy, the better off your football team will be plain and simple. And Ottawa fans need to know that going forward. Yeah. Um, and do you see him more as a slot guy or as a guy? I thought that he was going to play the Drew Wolitarski role of just wide side ride, wide receiver, yeah. like in Winnipeg, who gets two or three catches. But the, the thing is, Anthony Coombs has been out with a hamstring in Ottawa, which means that Nate Bahar has moved to the inside slot and he's had some success. But then, you know, there's, I believe, an interception or two in this game when targeting Bahar, where it was obvious that there wasn't full comfort between him and Dominic Davis in terms of spacing and where he expected him to be. So a couple of missed throws, and again, the throws to Dan Peterman, if you've noticed, they are not, uh, you know, climb routes where you're running a diagonal all the way across and he has to beat the Sam linebacker and stay skinny across the free safety space. It's eight-yard curls. Like, they're, they're not complicated stuff. So he can run at slot, and if you just find simple ways to get him the yeah. football, he'll just turn an eight-yard catch into a 15-yard gain because that's what Dan Peterman does. And it's, again, I don't say this as somebody who played with him and is championing him and beating the table of how good this guy is. I say this as somebody who continues to be in amazement that he finds ways to create and find productivity more than he should be able to. And I can't believe he's doing it at the pro level as of this weekend, the same way that he did it when he was in university with me, because that's, that is a skill that he's been able to transition from university to the pros that I did not think was possible. Yeah. And the reason why I sparked this conversation was because, you know, I started out asking you who he best resembles in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. past CFL um, Canadian receivers. And I was thinking to myself, is he like Stala? Is he like Dave Stala? But I'm like, no, he's, he's more athletic than Stala. Like yeah. he has that methodical way about him. Cause Stala was always like that. Right. Well, Sticky it was, was like, wiry. how did Sticky get open? <laughs> yeah. He was wiry and he would lose you with his waggle and he was crafty. And it was like, you know, he sit down in zones. Yeah. Here, yeah. So here's the thing about Dave is that he would get, you know, if he's running a, a 15 yard in route, let's say like Dave would kind of like 
straighten up, stand up tall, bah, 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 and it would be like real dramatic, like da, 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 and then all of a sudden he's coming out of his break and snapping to the end. Peterman, again, this is part of the magic of what he does that I hope fans in Ottawa will come to understand the way that I do from spending years around him. He will run a 15-yard in route, and it's so smooth, he doesn't even look like he ran a route. And what I mean by that is he'll just kind of be like gliding. He'll be coasting. All of a sudden, he gets to 15 yards, and there's no da-da-da-da-da and chopping down and breaking, and the arms are going. He'll just kind of like hit 15 yards and make his way towards the end, and the ball gets thrown right at his chest, and bang, and he catches it, and he turns up, and he knifes for six more yards because he makes one person miss. Yeah. And you're like, that's a 21-yard gain, and it looks like he was asleep. <laughs> like it, it doesn't look like he's trying. He never looks like he's trying because he's that smooth of an athlete. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about Ottawa here for a team that got blown out and lost way back on Friday, but it's just, yeah, I want people to understand it's not all bad in Ottawa. Like there, there's things worth being excited about. And, uh, if Dan Peterman is going to fix it, yeah, it's going to take, so here's the main thing, Kyle, when I was going into that Ottawa BC game that I called in week four, I sat down with Lapo that was off air, off recording all the rest. And I said, there's some plays that I see that you ran in Winnipeg that you're running in Ottawa now that feel a step slow. Like, have you had that moment where you've realized, ah, you know what, we are, we're, we're not executing this the right way. And he said, when I got to Winnipeg, we were installing stuff and it looked like that. You got to understand the next year we built on that. The year after that, the guys got quicker. The year after that, we didn't even have to talk about those install plays because they just knew them because we kept our core the same. He said, the point we're at in Ottawa, we're still trying to figure out who our core is. We don't even know yet. We don't know the guys that we're going to have back in two, three years that are going to know these plays. They're going to run them that much faster. They're going to teach them to the new guys coming in. Everybody's learning stuff right now. Nobody's teaching. Like even Nichols right now, he's learning stuff around them and now he's not even on the field. So uh, they've got a game in BC at the, the 10 p.m. Eastern time kick on Saturday this upcoming week. And I think you have to go Dominique Davis uh, at this point yep. to gi- give him the start and see where he can take it. Uh, but yeah, that's that Ottawa group the reason that they're struggling so much offensively, everybody is learning how to do this properly. They need time and seasoning. And that's only going to come if you invest in Lapalise and allow him to coach what he does. So uh, anyways, that's Montreal, Ottawa for you. That was back on Friday night. Uh, then we move ahead to Sunday. It was actually kind of nice to not have games on a Saturday, but uh, college football day. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I dived dive into some of that, but um, the Saskatchewan Winnipeg game, Cody Fajardo gets real frustrated. Yeah. Uh, in, in this game and ends up throwing I, it reminded me a lot of Jeremiah Masoli when he would start for the Ticats I'd be calling radio games and you could tell okay yeah he's not on today like he has his footwork is all over the place there was one ball that Fajardo threw that was way off the mark and when I saw that his feet were going like bouncing around and he was like he, he just didn't look like himself the whole game basically from start to finish and yeah his receivers didn't help him out at times uh, you know, there was a couple of bad drops. There were some situational football decisions that I thought weren't great. For example, when your quarterback is struggling and you feel like you want to get him into the game, Jason Moss, I understand that this used to be the way that you would play and you'd call games, but maybe don't call a cord called quarterback uh, draw directly into the heart of the bombers defense. Yeah. Uh, when your quarterback is, cause that very much felt like a, Hey, Cody's in a funk. Let's help get him out of it by, you know, getting him into some rhythm and calling something that we know will pick up some yards and give him some confidence, which was quarterback draw. And then he runs right into a buzzsaw because as soon as you get towards the middle of that defense and nobody has hit you yet, 
it's about to be a four car collision and you're the only car that's wearing green in that collision. So I didn't love that. Yeah. Um, man, watching that game was frustrating. Um, I had the riders um, on CF perspective in terms of my pick and it was frustrating watching the riders, like you said, kind of try to force feed their offense mm -hmm. just like three yards at a time. Uh, it seemed at periods um for and, and another thing at the beginning of the season on this show um on twitter i said cody fajardo is my mop pick and cody fajardo is going to have to learn you can't run people over in this league you can't run everybody over in this league you don't and need I know, to no and i know he has this like tim tebow type mindset um that's great no that's you Tim Tebow was never a starting quarterback for three years where it was like, okay, I'm the guy now. Well, Cody Fajardo, you're the guy and you have to stay healthy for the riders to be successful last year or in 2019, you were banged up in that playoff game. And did it lead to the riders getting beat by the bombers uh, in, in that West final potentially? Yeah. But there were points in that game on Sunday where Cody Fajardo was running a QB draw and Willie Jefferson was dropping in coverage before Fajardo took over. And he ends up Fajardo going toe to toe with Willie Jefferson, get down. And he's trying to run over Willie. There was one play. He tried to run over Willie and Jackson Jeffco took him out from oh, yeah. the side. And I was like, geez, you are not going to stay healthy if you're taking hits like this. And I understand the Riders had offensive line issues and the Bombers were really getting after it. It was funny because going into that game, I don't know if you know this, the Riders were ranked dead last in the CFL in terms of sacks. Um, that completely changed on Sunday, <laughs> right? And the Riders kind of, or sorry, the, the Bombers kind of took advantage of the Ticats in week one. Yeah. But the Bombers only had three sacks going into that game against Saskatchewan. Um, and I don't know where their offensive line issues came from because uh, the first couple games of the season, they looked to be good. Um, now they have to fix that. And, and Craig Dickinson's going to have to find a way to get Cody Fajardo time and get him back in rhythm with some of those receivers. Uh, just to clear this up for people, you're talking about sacks allowed by Saskatchewan's offensive line, correct? That they had given up the no, no, I was saying, I was, I was saying. The, the Bombers defense. Sorry, I, I might have said Riders. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, sorry. I said bomber, Bombers defense in going into that game only had three sacks. That was oh, okay, tied yeah. for last in the CFL. Yeah, like, interesting. The the Bombers, for as much as we talk about Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffco, they were creating pressure, but they weren't getting home, yeah. um, at least through the first few games of the season. But they were able to get after Cody Fajardo. But for Fajardo, you got to be able to stay healthy. And if that means, you know, getting down, you don't always necessarily have to baseball slide um, when you're in the box, but find a way to just put a well, shoulder down and get down to the ground. This weekend did frustrate me though, because like, I don't understand how you can be a professional quarterback and not know how to slide. I don't understand. Like it, to me, it should be mandatory. It should be like a vaccine passport to get into the stadium. Like you should not be allowed to be a starting quarterback unless the CFL during training camp puts you through mandatory testing of do you know how to slide because Zach Kalaros almost got his head taken off because he still doesn't know how to slide just towards ACL on a scramble in 2015 you'd think he'd learn doesn't know how to slide he basically tries to do the old like wait until the very last second and then just drop to your knees 
Well, you're going to get yourself decapitated if you don't give yourself up the correct way and you slide moving forwards. Trevor Harris, same thing, almost gets himself killed because he doesn't know how to slide. Mm -hmm. Like the only person who knows how to slide, it looked like over the weekend was Dominique Davis. And it was like a professional baseball slide where he was going into third, uh, rounding second base, perfectly timed slide, leg forward, gives himself up early, but gets credit for the forward slide because they didn't touch him until, you know, he was down, you know, two, two or three yards ahead of where he had been sliding. But um, yeah, for me, my last thought here on Saskatchewan Winnipeg is that Winnipeg's defense inevitably at some point they were going to be able to overcome the scheming mm-hmm. that other offenses were giving them and teams like Hamilton was rolling coverage away, adding extra protection teams live in fear of Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffco, which is why I think Richie Hall has been dropping Willie into coverage a little bit or underneath, because uh, if you're going to add in two extra people, what's the point of running Willie directly into that buzzsaw? You might as well just drop him out and create a numbers advantage where they've just given up having a receiver now the quarterback might have more time, but he has nothing to do with it. And oh, by the way, Willie's standing there to pick off Jeremiah Masoli on those shallow crossing routes to Brandon Banks. So I like the way that Richie Hall is saying, you know what, you guys want to do that? Sure, I'll just do this. But inevitably, at some point, a team was going to say, hey, five offensive linemen, maybe chip with a running back, but we're just going to play you guys pretty straight up. Mm-hmm. And when they did, for the most part in this game, you just you saw how dominant those players are. Willie Jefferson is great. Jax Jeffcoat's great. But Adam Big Hill's pursuit to the football is unlike anything else in the CFL right now. Still, <laughs> he gets there faster than anybody. He hits cleaner and harder than anybody. And for me, people are talking about Saskatchewan and Winnipeg here going into the Banjo Bowl and heading towards the playoffs. The difference in this, this, this matchup the entire season in 2021, I think after watching this game to me, is just going to be the defensive pursuit and the intensity of Winnipeg from Adam Big Hill. And I'm not even talking about the pass rush. I'm saying Dietrich Nichols is a nice player. DeAndre Alford is nice in the boundary there. They play really, really fast. When I think of Saskatchewan's defense, yeah, Nick Marshall, sure. Uh, I do like what they do with Ed Ganey at various times, but those guys can get beat on double moves as we saw a couple of different shots down the sideline. They got to be real careful in Saskatchewan that they're not relying on what they've done previously defensively because. All it takes, we know this from Winnipeg, all it takes for Winnipeg is for Andrew Harris to have 15 carries to grind out the clock, for them to get one turnover created by their talented defense, and for Zach to shock you with one great throw. That's the equation for Bombers football to win football games. Solid special teams, one great play on defense, one great play through the air, and Andrew Harris churns out as much yardage as he possibly can with that big offensive line. I give the upper hand to Winnipeg now after watching them head-to-head. Going in, I thought Saskatchewan looked Mm -hmm. good, but I, Winnipeg is the better team of those two based on what we just saw because what Winnipeg does successfully, that is sustainable. Going forward, that is something that they can do the entire year. And how they lost to Toronto, why they lost to Toronto, I was in person. I saw that game live. I don't know. I still don't understand it. Maybe I'll peel back through that game once we get to the playoffs. And try it was and the awful start for the Bombers. They started yeah. that game so poorly. Yeah, it wasn't great. But I, I do think that Winnipeg is the better of those two teams. So, again, they will yeah. they will match up on the uh, Super Saturday coming up for you this coming week in week number six. Let's move on to Hamilton-Toronto. We teased it a little bit here off the top, Kyle. You were there. You were at the game. Uh, we talked about the crowd environment all the rest, which was great. But the actual game itself... The concern for the Ticats has been the offensive line protecting Dane Evans. I yeah. thought, well, not perfect. I think this was mm-hmm. Keo Kafour's best game yeah. uh, thus far throughout the season. Great to see David Unger get into the end zone. That was super fun. He was somebody that through the draft and through practice, you and I have always said a lot of potential. 
the question was whether or not he would get to show that and actually make people miss in the open field and make some grabs and get into the end zone. And his first career touchdown, he ends up catching it, squaring up on an Argos defender, shaking him, stiff arm, dive to the cone, all the rest. So that was fun. Uh, and then in terms of the Argonauts and Nick Arbuckle, I really don't think it was as bad as people think. Like, I understand that he ends up not producing at the, at the right level, but his receiver falls down on one interception, Eric Rogers, which by the way, Carol Brooks was a sweet tote tap to get that in bounds, but he ends up having a receiver fall down. His completion percentage was still pretty high. They just didn't run the ball as effectively as they would like to, as they did in week three, week four, uh, or sorry, week three against Winnipeg. And uh, it seems like they need, when they're at their best, the Argos, they are spreading the ball around to a lot of different receivers. This felt like a very Rogers heavy target game. I haven't calculated mm -hmm. the information on that yet, but I, they felt a little one dimensional in this game to me. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of firsts for tie cats um, in that game against the Argos, mm -hmm. Tim white for CFL touchdown, David Unger for CFL touchdown, Mason Bennett for CFL sack. And it seemed all to happen in like a handful of plays. Um, I was like, okay, there's a lot of newcomers for the tie cats that are, starting to get their feet under them yeah. and that bodes well for Hamilton uh, moving forward as for the football game. Uh, I'll start with the Argos, Nick Arbuckle. He just, the, the offense just appeared all out of sorts. And I said to somebody in the press box during the first half, I said, everything the Argos are doing right now seems so slow. Like just their receivers coming out of breaks. Everything was slow. There were a couple of times where Arbuckle, I thought, hung on to the ball way too long. Like, the, the route was there. and Like, it was a comeback route, like 12, 14 yards down the field. And he didn't throw it when the guy was coming out of the break. He kind of threw it as the guy was running back towards the line of scrimmage. And the defensive back just read it and was on the back of the receiver and knocked the ball out. That happened on numerous occasions. So, for Arbuckle, I'm with you. I don't think it was maybe as bad as, as people thought it looked. Um, but Toronto definitely had some, you know, hiccups there. And for everybody that's saying, oh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, you know, came in and had some success. Is that McLeod Bethel-Thompson having some success or is that Hamilton playing prevent defense when they're up a couple of scores? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think it's probably 50-50. Um, for McLeod Bethel-Thompson, he has the skills. I, I think he's a really good backup quarterback. Um, I think he has the skills to have success in this league. But my thing with McLeod Bethel-Thompson has always been, over a long period of time, how is he going to play for you? He can lead you in touchdown passes, but team-wise, are you having some success? Are you getting wins consistently? That hasn't been the case for McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Yep, no doubt. Uh, I just I want to give a shout-out here as well in this game to uh, two players. One is Michael Domagala, who goes one-of-one one, uh, with the 13-yard field goal. That's got to be pretty cool for a kid from St. Catharines to get to play in that game, uh, which uh, the kicking situation Man. for the Ticats going into the year, I know we all kind of question, oh, my God, Leon Powerline yeah. is not around anymore. But I just, you know, on a personal side, like, I don't know, Michael, but that jumped out to me where I, that environment coming out of, of you know, where we've been for the last year and a half, that had to be a pretty amazing experience for him to feel that energy of that mm -hmm. crowd and to be around and for him to hit, even though it was 13 yards for him to hit that it felt like that probably was a, <laughs> a nice little boon of confidence. Although I do believe uh, the extra point on Simone Lawrence's uh, touchdown, the, oh, the boy. pick six at the end. Did he miss that? I don't know. They didn't even talk yeah. about it on the, on the television broadcast. They're just oh, like, he, there's he the kick and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he missed it. And there were some people on the edge of their seats. The reason why 
the touchdown by Simone put the score at 32 to 12. The total was 44. (laughs) And he missed the extra point. So everybody was looking, oh boy, I have the over. I told everybody to take the over. That was my pick in the Labor Day game. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get a push. This is going to suck. And then the Argos score uh, with like a minute and a half or two minutes left in the game. Hey, Um, Domagala had the under apparently. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Doma Gallo, though, um, there was an extra point in the game. The wind was weird during the game. Um, the It was kind of swirling. Doma Gallo on, I think it was the Unger touchdown, on his extra point, no word of a lie, Marsh. This thing went through the uprights and dropped straight down. I swear it almost came backwards. There was a huge gust of wind as soon as he kicked the ball, and he kicks his ball he tends to kick a higher than regular kickers. So as soon as he kicked it, this thing went up and the referee was kind of looking, kind of arching their neck backwards. And they're like, is this thing <laughs> going to come back? And it fell just on the other side of the uprights. I was like, whoa. Only time I've ever seen that before was a rainy, <laughs> windy day at Laurier where uh, we had Ronnie Peffer, who, by the way, is still in the league for the Calgary Stampeders. He was scratched yesterday before their game. Um, but Ronnie Peffer was the punter for Laurier, punted it into the wind. It hung up in the air and he started to chase it down because yeah. he was basically playing it as if it was, you know, you're playing ping pong where you put the, the second half of the table up where it's like you hit it into the table and you're like, I can just go get this myself. So he started to, to track it down. Well, Tyler Loveday for us, a receiver at McMaster, he made a decision. Well, if he's going to try to track this thing down, I'm going to murder him. So as the ball is hanging in the air and you have this skinny little punter running down the field going, I see it. I see it. I get it. I'm going to get it. And then all of a sudden, Love Day came in, hit him so hard. Ronnie Peffer swallowed his mouth guard. <laughs> like, like the game was stopped because he was impaled and his mouth guard had disappeared into his throat. Uh, it was terrifying. So yeah, that, that idea of a kick going backwards in the air, it doesn't happen very often, but what it does is like, you can get some weird situations. Yeah. Uh, did they call roughing the kicker? Like, uh, they did on Legio. Oof. Uh, it was, it was a rough call. It was a good thing. Replay fixed it. That I don't was... know. Like they just saw Legio on the ground and they thought, did he get kicked as soon as like he finished kicking the ball? I'm like, he started running and then he kind of just ran into the side yeah. of, the, it, the opposing <laughs> player and kind of fell. I'll say this though. I did thoroughly enjoy uh, whoever it was from Saskatchewan acting as though they didn't see that that was Legio and then taking Stanley Bryant's full 330 pounds and going, ah, I just like spearing Man. Stanley Bryant onto his own kicker. I felt so bad for Legio in that spot, but I was also when that call happened immediately, I'm like, Oh, I, I had the same reaction as you and everybody yeah. else listening to this. It's just like, that's not rough. <laughs> and yeah. obviously it got corrected, but it was just like, yeah. man, I, that call on the field, I don't know how they would have reached that determination if they just called that to call it and knew they would correct it with review and all the rest. But it was, um, yeah, that was, that was a low light. I would say of a great weekend of football. Yeah. Um, Getting back to this uh, Argos Ticats game, I, I talked about the Argos. As for Hamilton, I tweeted it out during the game. Um, I thought 2019 Dane Evans was back. Yeah, I thought yeah. Dane would look absolutely phenomenal. That touchdown drive um, that ended in the Unger touchdown, he was unbelievable on that drive. He was unbelievable the whole entire game. Well, mine was uh, the Tim White throw. Like when well, I that was too, but it was more of a methodical thing with the Unger yeah. touchdown, like just elusive. 
this isn't a disparaging mark against Jeremiah Masoli. One thing and one difference that the two guys have, Dane is so much more decisive. Jeremiah might be more athletic, but Dane Evans, when he sees the pocket is collapsing, he doesn't float. I find Jeremiah Masoli floats backwards, floats backwards, and then sometimes when he releases the ball, he's on his back foot, which is, is fine, but when you're sailing throws in week one against Winnipeg, you, you have to change it up a little bit. Dane Evans will back up as soon as he sees the pocket collapsing around him. He finds a way to get out and whether or not he's going to take off for a little, you know, seven yard run or throw the ball. Um, I'd like Dane Evans decisiveness in the pocket. And on that throw, it was very apparent that he was in rhythm with himself. Um, and he was able to, you know, find receivers open. Um, there was a couple of throws to Brandon Banks. Um, I, I think there was a couple of throws he, he'd like back. One was to Speedy. I thought he threw it a little bit late. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other one was in the fourth quarter where he kind of almost threw a pick six. Argos DB dropped it, uh, which would have made the end of the game uh, pretty interesting. Um, but for Dane, I thought, the guy that Hamilton fell in love with in 2019 that rode him all the way to the um, great cup. I thought he was, he was back. At least he looked a little bit back as for the offensive line. It wasn't perfect, but it was a step in the right direction. Um, and I'm with you. I think Kay played a lot better um, than he did the previous three weeks. Um, as for the feeling of the game, it was chippy. The Argos were trying to get under the Ticat skin and on numerous occasions, the Ticats just walked away. It was weird. Simone Lawrence, there was, a, there was one play, and I can't remember who it was. Um, it might have been one of the offensive linemen for the Argos. Um, got into it with Simone and kind of push, like punched Simone in the back of the head. Simone didn't even respond. He just walked to the sideline. <laughs> you know the way Simone is, right? He's probably yeah. laughing yeah. Um, as you know the Argos were going 2-0. and um, And I liked that discipline um, from the Ticats. End of the game. I don't know if they showed this on the TV broadcast. Um, end of the game, there was a skirmish that happened in the middle of the field. Yep. And it was as the players were coming onto the field because the game was over. And there was a dude, I don't know who it was, in Argo street clothes in the middle of the fight. And I think he threw a punch at Cariel Brooks. I know he threw a punch. I just can't remember what Tygat's player it was. Threw a punch. And then this very short man runs out on the field grabs this dude by the shirt and yes, is like yes, pushing him. Yes, yes, yes. Michael Pinball Clemens. Yes, I have never seen him yes. that upset in my life. Me and Steve <laughs> Simmons looked at each other and was like, is that Pinball? Uh, he locked, was yelling at this dude locked, on the field. You locked eyes with Steve Simmons? Way to bury the lead. I mean, <laughs> dreamy. What did you see in those eyes? Listen, the because of Corona, the seating chart in, uh, in the Tim Hortons Field press box has been uh, changed. Uh, your guy's no longer sitting beside Steve Milton, as I did for two uh, years. I'm uh, I got kicked down. I'm in like the middle of the press box now, so I'm uh, I'm with uh, the Toronto Sun guys now. Well, that's that's because your media accreditation was through some useless outlet called Canadian Football <laughs> Perspectives. So you, you you got pushed down the rung on that one, yeah. buddy. Sorry about that. I'd, I'll just say here on Dane. First and foremost, congratulations. Awesome to see. Yeah. Um, the second thing is his deep ball accuracy is elite. Uh, it has been back in 2019. That's why when you said 2019, Dane came back, I agree. Uh, but I will also say this, barring injury, Jeremiah Masoli does not start again for the Ticats. Like this this whole quarterback competition, dual quarterbacks, we're going to play them both stuff. It's over. And part of that, I believe, is that, you know, at this point, because of the, the things that are out there, um, 
in, in terms of the restrictions and protocols and the sidelines and all the rest, if players are, are wearing masks, I think a lot of people think that that is just them, you know, just deciding to wear a mask for their own well-being. I believe at this point, if I'm not mistaken, and I'd have to clarify it through the league, but um, that if you are unvaccinated, then you're wearing a mask on the sideline. And, um, you know, Jeremiah has had a mask on, which makes me think that he's, he's uh, probably unvaccinated at this point. And if he is, and Dane is playing at this level and they've brought David Watford up, then I don't know how much of the rib stuff ends up playing in. I really just think this is, you know, aside from everything else, vaccinated, unvaccinated, mm-hmm. travel, uh, transport Canada, putting these restrictions and all the rest. I really think this just comes down to they gave Jeremiah the starting job because he was owed that respect coming off of the ACL injury because he's a hell of a player when he's fully healthy and he's in rhythm. But when Dane Evans gets an opportunity because the offense is sputtering the way it was at the start of the year, and Dane takes it and he wins in Montreal and he comes back to Hamilton and he does that. I just, I, I, unless he really starts to struggle out of nowhere, you got to start looking at the body of work on Dane Evans and you got to start thinking to yourself, this is the guy, this is the guy going forward and he loves this city and, uh, and the city loves him back. So congratulations to Dane, some great, great throws I thought in that game. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him going to BMO as well and check that out. What do you got? Um, just for Ticats fans, I don't know what this means. We might hear an announcement this week. Um, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Um, Delvin Bro tweeting out Canada. I did see I'm this. Coming home soon. I yeah. don't know what that means. I was talking to Steve Milton, and apparently the Ticats don't have a lot of money left in the salary cap, um, which I bring up the Bro situation because I said this when it happened, and this is no remark on Jeremiah. That's two good quarterbacks, and and I, Jeremiah Masoli is still a very good quarterback. Absolutely, um, two quarterbacks in CFL sense, especially with Dane with his rework contract after you know 2019 and playing so well, that doesn't come cheap. No. And if the Ticats are struggling to bring a left tackle in, because and again, Kaokfer played a lot better against the Argos. If they're struggling to bring guys in because they're so cap strapped, is there a situation you could see where the Ticats are like, okay, Jeremiah Masoli, maybe, maybe our time is over. Um, again, I'd hate to see Jeremiah Masoli leave Hamilton because he wanted to be here. But if it's strapping the rest of the team, I think Sean Burke and, Drew, and you know Drew Alamang just have to come to the realization. This is, this is bigger than Jeremiah. This is bigger than our quarterback situation. We're hosting a great cup at home. Mm-hmm. And now we're back in first place. Like we have a rhythm going. Let's just wait. Are we just going to wait for Braylon Addison and Zavir Posey to come back from injury to, to hope our offense is going to be that much better and get to that elite status once again, like they were in 2019? Or are we going to move Jeremiah and maybe use that money to go get a left tackle, right? Maybe bring in a guy like Delvin Bro, which... By the way, that defense yesterday looked phenomenal. The last yeah. two weeks, they've looked tremendous. Um, and again, it's not a disparaging mark against Delvin Bro. I don't think they need Delvin. No, I like really if, if, like if, that defensive backfield. If Bro comes back, what the hell do you do with Jamal Roll? Because he's been I, great. He goes back to that 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 sixth guy in the secondary. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird to think about somebody who's like, yeah, this is your job. Congratulations, you've earned it. You're playing fantastic. Just kidding. The guy we used to have is back. It's like, okay, but I didn't do anything wrong. It's the same idea yeah. as Jeremiah. Like, he shouldn't lose his, his job because of that. And I'll just say this on the way out here on Hamilton. I wonder if 
Ottawa gets into that conversation as well. If Dom Davis doesn't do his thing in the next couple of weeks, if Matt Nichols doesn't show any improvement, would Lapalise have any interest? Would Marcel Desjardins have any interest in Jeremiah Masoli and possibly reworking his contract to get them through this year, maybe next year kind of thing. And, but again, you want to build that offense around a quarterback who's going to be there long-term. Nichols is not old, but he's also not young. Jeremiah is not old. He's also not young. Dominique Davis is what he is at this point. I don't know if any of the three of those guys are a long-term answer, but long-term in the CFL is two to three years. And I think yeah. Jeremiah would be able to give you two to three years at a high level playing in a creative offense like that. Yeah. Um, again, I don't want to force Jeremiah out of Hamilton. I just think this season, the circumstances around Hamilton, losing in 2019, yeah. hosting the Grey Cup in 2021, I think it's it's bigger. And I think the city feels that too. Um, and I know there are Ticats fans and I, I see it on Twitter. They're antsy because they do see holes in this Ticats team, um, less holes over the last couple of weeks. Um, but there are holes on this Hamilton team. And I worry if whether for the long run and whether it's, you know, a one game situation, you want to have your, you know, put your best foot forward in, you know, a a playoff game, a crossover, potential crossover game, uh, potentially a great cup. You want to see, you know, the, the streak in Hamilton end. And I just think you have to turn over every stone. And if you have to go down that road, you go down that road. Um, because like I said, the circumstances call for it. Uh, tie in here as we move on, spend a couple of minutes on the fourth and final game of Labor Day weekend. Uh, the Edmonton Elks get themselves a big win on the road, 32 to 20 over the Calgary Stampeders. Fourth quarter scoring 15 points to just three was what decided this as it was tied all uh, going into the fourth quarter at 17. Great game, back and forth, fun. James Wilder Jr. doing his thing. Uh, Jake Mayer was pretty effective. They gave Jake Mayer 46 passing attempts in this game, which to me signals that that was probably the send-off for Jake Mayer, which was like, let's showcase you as much as possible in case there's any trade yeah. interest here. We might be able to maximize your value because <laughs> it feels like Bo Levi's probably coming back as he got put on the one-game injured list ahead of this one. But uh, the the Cats tie-in for this is, how infuriating does it have to be, Kyle, for Ticats fans that lived through the Mike Jones experience of the drops and and the lack of confidence and just never really becoming the player they thought he should be. He goes to Edmonton and he's immediately the player that they had hoped he would be when they drafted him. I have been watching Mike Jones all year thinking that is a different person. That's a different player. He is so good, so confident. He's running these incredibly crisp routes. His hands look as sure as they ever have before. I don't know what work he put in during the pandemic. Mike Jones looks awesome. And, you know, he's playing the third most important receiver role behind Darrell Walker and Greg Ellingson that I think we all thought Armonte Edwards was going to. Yeah. And Tavon Smith might have gotten into that conversation, but it's like, no, guys, Mike Jones is the third best on that team. And I just, every time I see him score a touchdown or make a big play, I, I just think about the Hamilton fan watching a CFL game that Edmonton's playing and going, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Great Cup could have went very differently if uh, Mike Jones holds on to that, that pass over the middle where he, he dropped it going into the end zone. Um, I'm happy for Mike Jones. Um, Same, yeah. Because you know this being around Hamilton, uh, you know, the, the Ticats for as long as we've been, uh, Mike Jones was an integral part of that locker room. Right. His son was always running around and he was a staple at practice. And the reason it was either it was him and uh, little speedy 
Speedy yep. Banks's kid. Uh, they were running around the field, and that was a staple, and it felt like family, right? Um, for Mike Jones, it's I'm glad to see him have some success and have some rapport very early on with with Trevor Harris, and they have found you know some sort of chemistry that Mike Jones is you know uh, allowing himself. Uh, to to have some success at a crazy pace because what is it three touchdowns already this season yeah. like he's he's racking it up well, and just, it was never the case like that in Hamilton yeah exactly and, and just to paint how Edmonton is is operating right now they are playing off of defense's fears of Darrell Walker and Greg Ellingson using them as decoys and throwing it to other people into the end zone in the four touchdown passes in this game for Trevor Harris that he threw which again, 75% completion rate, four touchdowns. Edmonton's going to win yeah. a lot of games if Trevor's doing that. Mike Jones into the end zone. Ernest Edwards, who? Uh, into the end zone. <laughs> Ernest Jackson? No. Uh, Jalen <laughs> Jalen Tolliver, who? Uh, into the end zone. James Wilder Jr. into the end zone as well. So they threw a check down to James Wilder Jr. They threw a fade ball to Mike Jones, and they had a couple of little intricate plays down around the goal line uh, that were designed for guys to play off the fear of Walker and Ellingson. Walker and Ellingson, no touchdowns in this game, but Trevor Harris throws four. And it's like, if you're a team playing against Edmonton going forward and you see them throwing four touchdowns and none of them are going to their two best receivers, that's terrifying because yeah. now they're getting people open based on your fear. And now they're going to start playing off of that fear of everybody else. And they're just going to start beating you over the head with Ellingson moving forward. Yeah, there were a couple of people that, you know, after what, three, four weeks of the CFL season, um, because they saw the power rankings and I put out my own power rankings where it was like, okay, this is where I think Edmonton falls in the grand picture of the CFL. Mm -hmm. And they were saying, oh, you're stupid. Edmonton is way better than they were than they showed the first two games. And I'm like, yeah, I know they're better, but until I see it, I can't compute it in terms of where they're going. You, I have to see the improvement offensively. Their offense has completely changed. The struggles that they were having the first couple of games, now Edmonton is getting into the rhythm of what I thought they were going to be. Um, it was funny, the betting line of this one, it was strange because I'm like, Edmonton is rolling. Calgary is kind of struggling, even though Jake Mayer is looking a little bit better. Um, but the record is still not good. How are the Stampeders six-point favorites? And the line, <laughs> the, the line was climbing during the week. And then I think everybody was like, wait, Edmonton is I Edmonton clearly is the better quarterback. Yeah. Just gonna take Edmonton. And then the betting line came back down. I think it was six at kickoff. Um, and I was all on Edmonton this week, but it was a it was a strange line uh for me. For Calgary, the the move on, I think it was Thursday of activating Bo Levi Mitchell from that six game injured list. So if people don't know the way it works in the CFL, you can put a, game, uh, a guy on the six game injured list and his salary won't count against the cap unless you take him off at any point before right. that six games is over and they remove Bo Levi Mitchell before the six games. So I don't know if he was going to be ready for this week. I never thought he was going to play, um, but he's close. And I think he's going to play next week um, for, as I mean, the guy had surgery, <laughs> like yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. It's a, quick, a pretty quick turnaround. Um, but for the Calgary Stampeders with a short season this year, it's now or never. You have to start getting wins and stringing them together. Yeah. At this point, it looks like it's going to be Saskatchewan, Winnipeg running away at the top. And then the question is, who's going to earn that third spot? And to me, it's between BC and Edmonton. I think Edmonton has the upper hand, obviously, in the head-to-head -head because they beat BC, but they yep. also have the upper hand going forward. And then the question becomes... Can Calgary or BC 
do enough to catch the third team in the East for a crossover spot. Like that's the way that this thing is shaking out as, you know, they say, oh, the CFL season starts at Labor Day. Uh, Even though it's only week six that we're going into here after Labor Day, I I feel like that's a pretty crystal clear picture right now of the way that the West is going to look. The actual seedings themselves, who's one, who's two, who's three, Mm -hmm. I don't know. But it's, to me right now, it's Saskatchewan, it's Winnipeg, uh, and it is likely going to be Edmonton and then BC Calgary trying to track down either Montreal or Toronto, assuming that they're the three seed in the East, I think is is where we're headed here going forwards. But uh, that was uh, that was a fun one yesterday in Alberta. And uh, we look forward to seeing the rematch of that one as well in Edmonton and the return of Bo because as great as Jake was, it'll be nice to see Bo Levi back out there onto the field. Let's dive into the three minute warning for you here on a Tuesday, a Tuesday show today. Get ready, get ready. Let's go, a little urgency, here we go. Let's go. We're almost out of here. This is the three-minute warning brought to you by... Uh, Today, it's going to be brought to you by the ACC. The ACC. The reason I say this, Kyle, opening weekend (laughs) of collegiate football in the United States of America. Uh, Not great for the ACC. Not a lot of success was had by everybody uh, and I had this tweet saved. I got to try to pull this back up for you because it is unbelievable what the ACC just did to themselves uh, <laughs> in, in the opening weekend. I watched the U get slapped around uh, by Alabama. That was to the be... The U is not back. No, no. They are not. They're not even close. <laughs> it was just ridiculous the way that uh, the U carries themselves. But I always Hey, Marshall. Uh, yeah, I know. Marshall. <laughs> Shout out to our Thundering Herd. Uh, who we have a deep personal relationship with. They beat the snot out of Navy. I believe Navy was the only military academy to end up losing. But the ACC in week one, number three, Clemson, loses to number five, Georgia. Number 10, North Carolina, loses to unranked Virginia Tech. Number 14, Miami, loses to number one, Alabama. Duke loses to Charlotte. Georgia Tech loses to Northern Illinois. Florida State loses to number nine Notre Dame, although they made that game much more fun and close than it could have been. And Louisville gets beat up by Ole Miss. <laughs> so you're looking across the board. It's like one, two, three, four, five, six games that ACC probably should have had a hand in at least four yeah. of those, and they lost all six of those games. Yeah. Um, the thing that stuck out to me in college football this weekend, one, Brian Kelly is a moron. Oh, God, yeah. What are you doing post game with? Oh, I was a joke. People don't know who the guy, who John McKay is, an old college football. Nobody understands your joke, and you're just sounded like a psychopath on yes. national television, saying your entire team needed to be executed. How do you walk into anybody's home to visit, uh, you know, a, a child and say to their parents, "I'm going to take care of your son for the next five years. I care about him." They're going to be like, "But what about this thing where you said that all your players should be executed just because you <laughs> gave up a big lead?" You still won the game, and you said your players should be executed. Like, how that could ever come across his mind? I'm like, he is a crazy person. That was number one from the game. Completely opposite, number two of the game. Shout out to Mackenzie Milton, because that was a heartwarming moment to see him back on the football field, uh, playing against Notre Dame, almost willing his team back uh, to victory. Um, Just what that guy's gone through, what, two entire years out, and finally gets back on the field. Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome to see. Uh, Thank you, as always, 
for joining us here and thank you for being a, a friend of the show and checking us out as always on a Monday slash Tuesday slash whenever we get a chance to be able to do this and recap the CFL weekend. We'll be back on Monday for you next week uh, because it is a Saturday triple header. And at that point on Sunday, Marshall will be digging into those games and uh, and hopefully giving you everything that you want on the Monday recap edition. This podcast, as always, is made possible to you by our friends at Fox 40, the worldwide leaders in whistle technology for all your whistle needs visit fox40shop.com get their latest innovations the fox40 tri-layer whistle mask and the fox40 electronic whistle check out their products and more again fox40shop.com and use that promo code cfp15 get yourself 15 percent off at checkout for kyle mello i'm marshall ferguson this has been marshall mello thank you for tuning in coming up for you all canadian of course on wednesday myself and derek taylor will have the breakdown for you and much much more as we head into week number six of the cfl season this game is ended. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.